0: This is Developer's Journey. My name is Tim Bourguignon. Thanks for joining. Hello, everyone, dear listeners. Um, Today, we have a guest that has been on the podcast already, but that you have never heard. Um, you might wonder how that uh, is possible. Well, I did a few interviews before starting the podcast to um to get in the mood and try to understand how I should interview people. And David Tanza, who is here with me today. Hello. Um was one of them. He was uh, uh, generous with his time. I think we spoke for over uh, uh, 1 and a half hour or something. It was a giant discussion. Um it was very interesting. Um, but it was not really suited for the podcast as it ended up uh, being. So I thought, um, well, now is the time to get David on my, on the air again and, um, pull, um, some information from his nose and get to know him a bit better. Um, there's an other, um, um news about this podcast. Uh, we're actually face to face. We're not over Skype. I uh, have a new setup uh, with microphones uh, um, that are hanging in um, from our um, shirts, and we can actually really see each other, <laughs> which is something Which is new. awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's true. So I hope the uh, the quality will be uh, at least as good and even better. Um, hi, David. Hello, Tim. Hey. Um, we're here at the conference. It's called Matema Conference. It's uh, in Germany. It's actually organized by the company I work for. Um, and you've been a speaker here. Yeah, at- I've been a speaker
1: here in every year since 10 years or so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This was basically, I think, the first conference I spoke at. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Cool. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I um, worked for Mathema here in, in Erlangen in Germany uh, in 2007 and 2008. Mm-hmm. And when you work at Mathema, you have to do talks. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... That's how I got into public speaking. Wow. I think I wouldn't be a conference speaker if I wouldn't have worked at Matema back then.
0: Oh, cool. And you're a frequent speaker. You're speaking all over the place though.
1: Yeah, I actually
0: speak too much at conferences. <laughs> at least my wife says that. <laughs> okay, one problem we have in common. Um, okay, so, so you, you held actually two talks, which uh, again says that you're speaking too much. Or actually one <laughs> workshop and one talk. Um, if I remember well the the talk was um the four rules of simple design mm-hmm. yes, and the workshop was more about clean code clean code in general with a very esoteric name
1: was it yeah the the uh, name of the workshop was interface foo extends bar <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> or something like that mm-hmm. <laughs> um and the workshop was about the solid principles so it's basically um two two ways of achieving better design. The one is the four rules of simple design, which are very high level and just guide you to better questions about your code. Mm -hmm. So like the four one of the four rules says um, simple design maximizes clarity and you can ask yourself is my design clear enough right now or how what could I do to clear it up? And the solid principles are some very well-defined principle. Like the Liskov substitution principle, every subtype should, um, should not break the contract its base type, um, defined. Um, so those are more concrete things you can look for in your code and you can look at your code and check if it violates the Liskov substitution principle. Mm-hmm. And I think so I was very glad that the conference accepted both the workshop and the talk because I think they go
0: well with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Um, why is it important to have a clear design? <laughs> As a very oh, question,
1: can, I, no? can I quote J.B. Reinsberger here? Of course you can.
0: <laughs> um,
1: uh, a simple design um, minimizes the... The the volatility in the cost of new features. So the the more simple your design is now, the the more constant is the cost of adding new features. Mm-hmm. Like you know that when you have worked on the same system for five or ten years or when you come into a new project where they have a legacy system they were working on for ten years, then you see that adding new features now is much, much slower and much, much more complicated than it was five years ago. And the more simple you keep your design, um, the uh, the less um, extreme is this curve. So if your design mm-hmm. is simple, maybe you're now at twice the cost that it was five years ago, and, and you have a complicated time uh, design. You are probably at the factor of one hundred or
0: so. <laughs> okay, um, why is that? Is it is it just um... The complexity we put in the system, so it's uh, difficult to extend, or is it, uh, has, does it have some um, readability problems? Is there, is there an answer to that? I don't know. Um, yeah, I think it's um, everything you said, <laughs>
1: okay? <laughs> um, plus, uh, side effects are a big problem. When you have code that is very tightly coupled to each other, then you change something in one place, and you don't know if you broke anything anywhere else in the system. Mm-hmm. So you want to protect parts of your system from changes that are not inside this part. And this is a very difficult thing and something that I'm trying to learn. I've been trying to learn that for in for 5 or 6 years now and I'm still most of the time, fail, but I try to <laughs> fail earlier and not as hard. <laughs> um, not, not just trying to learn it; you're teaching it. Yeah, I'm, I'm also learning. teaching it, but that's um, uh, that also helps me learn it because mm-hmm. when I give a talk like the, the the four rules of simple design talk yesterday, um, then. Afterwards in the discussion, I probably learn more than the people have learned from, <laughs> from listening to me. And I hope they also learn something during the discussion. So I, I really, um, I, I mostly, what, what I really love about giving conference talks is that you, um, uh, that you get to know new people and can discuss with them afterwards. That's also why some of my conference talks are very provocative, like, the the one that's called, your company will never be agile, where I tell the audience in the beginning, your company will never be agile, and then I tell them a couple of reasons, and then at the end I said, I told you so, your company will never be agile. <laughs> so, so that's I do this to um, start a conversation. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I really love those uh, those talks that are very provocative and start with something, um, how to destroy your company or how to destroy your design or yeah. you talk about agility. It's really really good way of um, captivating the attention of the uh, of the public and and get them thinking into one direction. It's it's really good uh, good way of doing.
1: Yeah, I mean also the 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 solid talk uh, was a little bit. I, I showed some code and it's basically three lines of Python code. Mm -hmm. and I tell the audience uh, three different severe problems I see in those three lines and why we should split this class into two classes. I mean, this is really, really nitpicky, and nobody would do this on a real project, but this (laughs) is something that I want to show them, look, you can take these things to extremes, and we can even improve the design of those three lines of code. Mm -hmm.
0: And the talk is still... Um, very enjoyable. It's not just nitpicking. It's really, uh, really um, insightful information. Thanks. So, yeah, that's good. Um, but we didn't speak about your day job. Are you doing this in your day job as well? Um, mostly. Mostly. Cool.
1: <laughs> so I basically um, do three things right now. I mainly do. Okay, I should mention I'm a, a freelancer and independent consultant, so you can hire me to do things for you. And right now, I mainly write code for money. So mm-hmm. I have a client, they want me to implement a prototype for a new system, and over time, more and more programmers should join me from the client. I At least I hope they... We'll do that at some point (laughs) okay? (laughs) because there's only so much you can do on your own. I mean, I can make the prototype and I can try to make a good design, but Mm -hmm. at one point we have to get into a discussion. Mm -hmm. And then the other uh, two things I do is I I teach, like I teach uh, test-driven development workshops. I now created a React and Redux training course because I work with JavaScript and React and Redux a lot right now. So a little bit of teaching, test-driven development, clean code, and also really programming. And the third thing I do is, um, you could say, uh, coaching or consulting. So working with uh, teams to improve their code. Like I will probably uh, do some five days of refactoring coaching at a company in the next couple of months where they want to do a refactoring and they want me to come like for one day every week or so to discuss what they could try next. Mm -hmm. But where this will not be a training course, we will really be working on their production code. Mm -hmm. So that's the three things I do. Um, Consulting or coaching, training and
0: software development. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And on Mm -hmm. the side you still have some uh, other things you do. Um, I know you from the uh, Socrates as well. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should say, we should explain what the Socrates is. Um,
1: Socrates is the Software Craftsmanship and Testing Conference. Mm-hmm. It started here in Germany like seven years ago or so. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. um, and I, five or six years ago, I was at this uh, Socrates conference, and I thought, that's awesome. I want to have something like that in Austria, too. And then I forgot about it again. <laughs> But I really liked, um, it was the, the second unconference I attended. I once was at a bar camp in London. This was like, yeah, meh. <laughs> it was okay. But, um, at Socrates, they had a really great facilitator and a great setup and everything worked. And I, before that, I couldn't imagine that this, Format would work where you have no program and it's mm-hmm. just people, they come and they decide on the program and then it's a great conference program. Mm-hmm. But it worked and yeah. Uh, last year I found two other people who were willing to try this with me in Austria. So we started Socrates Austria last year.
0: Mm-hmm. So you had one already and the second one is coming or you had two?
1: Yeah, uh, we started last year. Last year we were. Um, 60 people. And uh, this year, last year was one day and this year we will do one and a half days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it will be in October, I think on the 21st or 22nd. But
0: you will put the link in the notes. I will. I yeah. will. Why, why is it so important? Um, it's kind of a rhetorical, a rhetorical question for me as well. Um, but let's ask it anyway. Um, why is it so important to Um, not just speak at conferences but organize them and um, make them live and organize this all what is motivating you doing this
1: Um, what is motivating me to do this in particular is um i wanted to um organize a proper conference some years ago and this didn't work out but that's actually a bit of a different story and uh then we, we had some very cool meetups in the city where I live, in Linz. Um, but no, I, I don't know if, of any big tech conferences in probably all of Austria. There was the JSF um, days, which later became the Confess conference in Vienna, but uh, I think this is not happening anymore. And otherwise, at least in Linz, we didn't have any conference. And then Chris Fry came and started to organize TopConf conferences in Linz, and he asked me to be on the program committee. And the the first TopConf Linz and also the second TopConf Linz were great events with a great program, but they were proper conferences, like with a call for papers, and you have to buy tickets and stuff like that, so Mm -hmm. (laughs) things that I don't want to organize. But during my work in this program committee, I found um, two other people who wanted to try this unconference unconference thing with me. Mm -hmm. And I told them, in theory, it should be easy. We just need a venue. We need the facilitator and then we have to sell tickets and that's it. We don't need a call for papers. We don't need too many sponsors and it's much easier to organize. And we said, yeah, let's do it. We do it as a community event. We don't earn any money with it, but We just wanted to have events like this in Linz. So that's also why I worked on the TopConf program committee, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to have events like that in my area, Mm -hmm. so that for once I don't have to take a four-hour train ride to get to speak at a conference. (laughs) (laughs) And did it work out this way? Was it easy? It was pretty easy. I mean, it it was work. Uh, For sure. (laughs) We had to find sponsors. We had to find a caterer, but it was easy to organize it. Mm-hmm. We are three people. We are dividing the work pretty well. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, you've been also at um, meetups in Munich and in Vienna, I think, with another workshop. Or was it a, a full workshop? Um, yeah, it was a, let's say, a short workshop. So at,
1: uh, at the first Socrates Austria, there were some people from the um, software craftsmanship meetup in Munich. So, the Softworks Kammer München. And they asked me um, to, whenever I have time and some ideas, I could come and present at their meetup. And I said, yeah, actually. I have a refactoring cutter that I designed for a TDD training, and then I never did it with anyone, and I actually want to try that with actual people. Mm-hmm. So, Wait a minute, yeah. we have to define cutter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what, what is I, a cutter? I actually don't even like that word, so I <laughs> I have a re- refactoring exercise. Okay. <laughs> a, a very small exercise where you can do half an hour or one, a, one hour or even one and a half hours and practice different kinds of ref- refactoring so it's mm-hmm. a piece of very bad code and I have three ideas that you could try on this code and trying one of the ideas takes between 30 and 45 minutes mm-hmm. so in in Munich we had like I think we had two hours time so we tried all three ideas so a, a A cutter is an exercise that you can do again and again and again to practice
0: some aspect of your Mm -hmm. job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It comes from the uh, martial arts, those those gestures you repeat and repeat and repeat to get them uh, burnt in your brain. Yeah, right. How you do that. (laughs) And uh, the idea was, I think, to to do exactly the same in in software um, and have those things that you do again and again and again and again to get...
1: But I'm that's also understand. why I don't like the bird cutter, because I <laughs> don't do it again, I, I don't do it every, every day. I did this refactoring exercise, I think I personally did it 3 or 4 times so far, where I really tried to refactor this code. Mm-hmm. And I found out that this code I wrote is really, really, really hard to refactor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you wrote the bad code as well? Yeah, I wrote oh. the bad code and now I can't refactor it. <laughs> How was it writing bad code uh, intentionally? It was not that hard. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs>
1: um, so I, um, I wanted, do you know the baby steps, taking baby steps, steps exercise? Maybe I should explain it. It's a test-driven development exercise where you um, try to solve a problem in a test-driven way. Mm-hmm. But you have to get to a green test in under two minutes. Mm-hmm. So if the tests are green after two minutes, you are allowed to c- commit and otherwise you have re- to re- revert all your work. Mm-hmm. So that's re- a really hard exercise and I said, yeah, I want to write a timer for that. But with the intention of writing bad code. So mm-hmm. I just needed some use case. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I wanted this timer to play a sound when the time is up and to display the current time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hacked, to get, or I copied, I guess I copied from Stack Overflow some code for playing sound with <laughs> threads and, and mm-hmm. whatever Java sound API and I did a pretty hacky user interface where I had a, a Java swing application that actually displays HTML so I had these two ugly pieces of code mm-hmm. and then those were obviously not working, and then I added workaround after workaround after workaround until this thing worked. <laughs> <laughs> and now I have something like, it's it's really small, it has 150 lines of code or so, so it's not big, It's you can understand it, it's not even... So the people in Munich told me, and it doesn't even look bad, the variables are named reasonably, and the methods are named reasonably, and still it's such a bad piece of code. So <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and I did it with them, and they really liked it. And then I asked the people from uh, Softworks Kammer Wien if they are interested in something like that. And they said, yeah, come to Vienna, do it with us.
0: Mm -hmm. So I did it in Vienna again. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Is it something that the listeners could do on their own at home?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, After I did it in Vienna, some person said... um, it would be nice to have something like that in C-sharp and I said yep yeah, do a pull request and now we also have it in C-sharp Okay. Cool. and then I met someone who said um, can't we do this in JavaScript and I said yeah let's let's implement the JavaScript version together and then next day in the morning he told me I already implemented it and so you can download those three things from GitHub and if you want a new programming language just
0: Take the original code and, <laughs> and fork it and let's go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, the one piece that will be missing, though, is the kind of retrospective on it, And discussing with other people.
1: Yeah, but I have a blog post where I explain what kinds of exercises I I tend to do with this mm-hmm. code. So the basically the first exercise is um, just assume that this code is too complicated to test and try to... Um, refactor without tests mm-hmm. to a point where you can test it. Okay. Um, the second exercise is um, just assume that refactoring without tests is too risky and try to write some tests without changing the code. This is really hard, but it 's possible mm-hmm. you have ju- You just have to change one private field to public and then you can access data and can write tests. Mm-hmm. And the third exercise is try to do golden master testing
0: with it. That's more like a fringe topic. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but that, that's where the, uh, I mean, the point too, um, too risky and you don't want to change code. That's exactly where this um, legacy or refactoring legacy code really comes into place.
1: Yeah, but um, both strategies are actually valid for refactoring legacy code. Mm-hmm. You could try to refactor with your IDE tools to a point where adding the test is easier. Mm-hmm. And um, take the risk of breaking something, or you can go to create length lengths to add tests first. And it's not always clear which strategy is better. And okay. I think this code is a very nice illustration that both strategies
0: have some pros and cons. <laughs> okay. Um, and in your blog post, you have some 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 explanation of, of why and. Uh, not just how
1: no, you do it? no, no, just uh, what
0: I did with the group in Munich, basically. Okay, so people will have to find those uh, advantages and disadvantages uh, pros and cons yes. on their own. Or invite me to their user group. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, one thing you said at the beginning: uh, you code for money, you m- do some uh, some teaching, and you do some coaching. But I know you from the agility side as well, so a bit Scrum mastery method, methodic stuff. Yeah, um, <laughs> we didn't speak at all about this. Is is it something I wrongly know you uh, about? <laughs> no,
1: not not really. I um, I am very interested in um, agile methodologies, and I tried to learn about it a lot in the past. I even worked as a full time agile coach for almost one and a half years. <laughs> okay. And I, I do a lot of talks about this. I will also give a a, a keynote at an agile conference in in September in Zurich. Mm-hmm. So this is also something I'm really interested about, but when I was this full-time scrum master without doing any coding, I recognized that um this Pure agile coaching or, uh, yeah, pure, just agile coaching is not something I really want to do. I want to Mm -hmm. help teams to become more agile, but more from the inside, more as a technical coach or as a player coach, maybe as a developer or architect on the team who also does some technical coaching. Mm -hmm. And I had a call with uh, Gitter Klitkart. Um, from an agile coach from Denmark last week, where we were actually talking about just that that we all think that when companies try to become more agile, they hire agile coaches, they um, introduce new processes, they um, add training maybe even for their middle and upper management. But what many don't do is technical coaching so they are mm-hmm. using the new process with their old technical skills and we were talking about how we could work to be- together better as technical coaches and agile coaches um, to deliver the whole experience to companies who want to become more agile mm-hmm. so maybe we can do something like that in the future to, mm-hmm. That's to convince companies that they need both the. The ori- origin of this idea actually comes from Adrian Boborka from Romania. Mm-hmm.
0: You should actually interview both on your podcast. Okay, you'll have to. Get <laughs> I will introduce a... you. Okay, cool, cool. Um, that's 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 interesting. Um, a colleague of mine, um, Verna, uh Ebeling, did a talk yesterday exactly about this. Really about these um, his his, um, his position in a project as um, kind of architect, but not named architect. So kind of in a scrum team, not being an architect in a scrum team, he is basically nobody. Um, he's <laughs> not in the scrum team, and he's not really in management, so a bit, bit of a between-two-chairs position. And um, what I took out of it is actually we need in every team somebody that is doing technical coaching, that is taking over this this kind of... Um, of um, I don't want to say architectural role, but but overlapping role um, over the whole project that goes in uh, all the all the um, teams and 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 has a look at um, at the uh, God I'm missing my English um, at the overarching architecture, but also helping really every people in the team getting up their skills and, and teaching them, coaching them, and, and getting up to to speed. And for that, you need time. You cannot do that and do full-time coding at the, at the same time. Um, yeah, There's
1: another interesting aspect about this. I was talking to a company like half a year ago. Unfortunately it didn't work out. But we were talking about how if I would do pair programming coaching for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically just come for two days a week and pair, pair program with someone. Mm-hmm. Every day someone else. Um, then I would not only teach them or work with them on their pair programming skills and TDD skills and stuff like that, I would probably also um, get a very good overview of their code and could assist them in software architecture discussions and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And um, The one person I was talking to was... Um, very enthusiastic about this idea but I think he couldn't convince management to hire to actually hire
0: me for this. (laughs) That was exactly the point yesterday. We said, well um that's a fantastic idea but it's gonna cost a lot of money to have those persons coaching a lot and um it's not clear from the get go um how to how to um to explain this, that we need this. And it's mostly we can explain it after the project has um has been success, but cost a lot more money than we expected, then we can say, well, if we had it, coaches, then we would have been better. <laughs> but from the beginning, it's hard to to, uh, to explain and, uh, and validate this idea. But it's interesting. Um, it's not the first time I hear this. Um, I think I heard it from, from Amitai Schleyer. You know, it's a, co- it's a coach in, uh, in the US, and mm-hmm. um, he really um, intentionally, when he, he reads the Agile Manifesto, uh, manifest he reads the first sentence so the, the prelude um before the values um we've been uh we have uh, we've uncovered uh, new ways of um of writing software by doing it and helping people do it and he really says, well, we cannot forget this doing it yeah um helping people do it is good, but we have to do it as as well on your own, on our own and that 's how why he says agile yeah. coaches there is need for them but you have to be hands-on, but it should be hands-on. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> That's a nice idea. <laughs> yeah, I really like this, this, this way of things. OK, um, we're almost at the end of our time box. We, we went over what you said, uh, the, the, um, the different talks, went over um, four rules of simple design, solid principles. We've spoken about coaching, about the Socrates. Did you miss something? I don't think so. <laughs> we don't think so, okay. Um, do you want to plug anything? Where are you going to be next? Where? What are you going to do? Where are you going to be speaking? Or what do you have on the plate right now? Um, next, so I will be at a couple of conferences
1: this year. Um, next in Mindset, the uh, Czechs conference. Um, then in Zurich, two times. Um, the most important ones are Obviously, the Socrates Austria in October, and I will probably also be at the Socrates Day Switzerland, which is on September 15th, I think, so in mid of September in Zurich. So I hope I can be there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And otherwise, um, the the best way of getting in touch with me is probably on Twitter. I'm tensor there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I also have blogs, but if you follow me on Twitter, then you will. <laughs> also, get get notified when I blog
0: something. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And sometimes you try to put the, your your blogs on uh, on Hacker News, right?
1: Yeah, um, I had um, I was successful for t- two or three times, and there were really interesting discussions there.
0: Um, I followed but, that a bit, yeah, <laughs> but it scared the hell out of me. <laughs> I mean, it can, be, it can become really uh, productive and uh, you were lucky to get that mm-hmm. and have really uh, uh, deep conversations about this. Uh, I've seen discussions go uh, down the drain as well. So.
1: Yeah, but I think the the general um, atmosphere and attitude at Hacker News became a lot better in the last two or three years. Oh, it is. Again, yeah. Right. It was pretty good when I first started reading Hacker News. This was a long time ago and then it went downwards and I think there are Doing a lot right now to to get it up again, mm-hmm. like to reward good behavior and stuff like that. Okay, so I think there's going there's there are things going on behind the scenes, or it
0: it was just luck that I mm-hmm. <laughs> had the
1: good discussions.
0: So you didn't uh, <laughs> just get uh, an audience boost, but also also some good insights and, and... yeah, absolutely, that's absolutely, that's good. Well, I think uh, we have it. Thank you, thank you very much, David thank you for having me here thanks for taking the time and we'll see each other uh if not before at the uh, topconf in düsseldorf i think yeah see you there see you there (laughs) bye bye